Here's a little Friday flashback, taking you back to one of our very first episodes and the first time we had a guest join us. That guest was none other than Wayne Smith, who was undoubtedly one of the greatest rugby coaches in the world, and in my books, one of the greatest coaches full stop. In the next 15 minutes, both DG and Smithy give some real insight into high performance and what it looks like in a real environment. If you want to listen to the full episode, there's episode number three. I hope you enjoy. I, I remember DG's first session graphically. Uh, Go, on. <laughs> Go on. I'll get him to tell about the bucket with the um, with the rocks in it. <laughs> I think it should come from DG. Brilliant. You, you could not help but sit on the front of the uh, chair whenever DG took a session. Magnificent. For me, um, so I decided uh, after the World Cup in 2011 that that was going to be for me for a while with the All Blacks. And I'd always had an interest in coming home. Um, family were, mum and dad were getting older, they're on a farm down in Potaru. Um, and I'd supported Dave Rennie for the job as the head coach of Chiefs. And then he rang me one day and he said, um, thanks for supporting me, Smithy, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is and come and work for me? So uh, I said, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind that, Renz. So, so with he and I and um, Tom Coventry and Andrew Strawbridge, DG on board, um, Stu Williams as manager, we had a really, really smart group. Um, we were a tight group, but we are also a group that was really honest with each other. And there was often a, quite a bit of conflict and different ideas and, um, you know, it wasn't always smooth sailing, but we always, we walked out of the room and we disagreed and committed. And it was really important. It's important to have those debates because you've got smart people all with their own ideas. Um, you'd be silly not to, not to talk about them. So they, they, the 212 and 213 were great years. We'd, um, one of the one of the big challenges initially was to select a team because um, there were a lot of All Blacks were moving on um, from from the Chiefs team. Uh, we had to recruit younger players from around the country. So um, that's a good example. Of that Brady Metallic's a good example of that. He was in under twenties in Hawke's Bay at the time, um, and clearly Tom Country had been coaching him in Hawke's Bay, so we had a we had an in there. Um, so we had we had to really get people from all around the country, players from all around the country, and um, they were coming in and dribs and drabs from everywhere pre-season, and um, you know it was it was overwhelming at times. We we didn't have anywhere to train, so um, the the club, the Chiefs club, were in debt to about six hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. We'd basically been chucked out of the Waikato Stadium as a training venue because couldn't pay the rent. So we were we started off training at uh, St Paul's Collegiate on the, on the uh, cricket fields and we used the cricket um, pavilion as our clubhouse. We had no weights, um, no rugby field. Um, and that's how we started. No whiteboard, no projector. We had a projector, we had a crack screen, no budget. And uh, halfway through uh, or early in December, Tom Coventry's father was, um, he was a caretaker out at Ruakura Research Centre. And he got hold of Tom and said, why don't you come out and have a look at our community? Because there's, a, there's an empty 
meat warehouse there that could be converted into a clubhouse. So we went along there and had a look and Dave Rennie's got this incredible, incredibly imaginative brain. He could picture parts of this meat warehouse that were going to be the coaches' rooms and where the analysis room would be and where you'd put the kitchen and, you know, and um, so on a shoestring budget, we used to give um, the players Wednesday off. So they would go down and they would knock down walls, put up walls. Um, we had to teach them how to paint. We painted, our wives came in and helped paint. Um, we found Stu Williams opened up some of the, um, the old milking sheds that were no, no longer used at the research centre and they were full of whiteboards and desks and that's how we outfitted the place. Like it was rough as guts, but it was our rough and it was a boys, it was a boys project and they owned it and they did, they did a lot of the work for it. Um, and that's how we started off. And uh, we mixed with community. We, um, we looked at history. We looked at settlement of the area by Tainui. Um, we used language associated with that and created a culture that was genuine and outstanding. And it's, I think in time it'll be one of the great stories. And DG was part of it. Do you want to tell that story, DG, of your first session? I, I <laughs> can Oh, I, I can't remember, Smithy, but I can remember the first session when I, when I met you in Wellington. Remember that time when you were down there and I started yeah. talking and you put your hand up and said, I absolutely disagree. <laughs> that was the first time you and I met. But Jay, what I want to add into 212 and 213 story, which stood out for me at the Chiefs, and I think it's a really important one because it's something I've seen um, and the number of times I've observed Smithy coach, is that the, the, that 2012 year was defined by training that was far um, far beyond any intensity that the men ever had to encounter when they played. And I, th I think that's a really key point in um, understanding the success that I saw happen in 2012 and 13 was there was not a blatant disregard for player welfare. There was an understanding that for us to help the men play rugby, which was um, instinctive and free as they had to overcome the fear of injury and they had to learn how to play without a handbrake and then the training was designed in that way and we had a particular session on a Thursday which I remember was called Blood Thursdays wasn't it Smithy <laughs> and the, the Thursday sessions was about um, spiking testosterone and also taking training to levels that would make games feel slower and easier for the men and I think that's a really important part is the execution of high levels of skill under massive pressure and that really stood out for me, eh, Smithy, on 12 and 13. There was those Thursday sessions. It wasn't unusual to see fights and have stitches and bits and pieces because the intensity was so high and hence why it was called Blood Thursdays. But I think for me that would be a defining, you know, we've talked a lot about culture and the culture and family and integrity and meaning and ownership and, and you know, starting with nothing and having no entitlement and massive gratitude is, is very, very important. I think that's a foundation to it. And I think then for me, this last thought is for people listening is just to recognise that the soldiers still have to learn how to, it's still about combat and it's still about war and it's understanding that they've got to actually train at a level which helps them be ready for the big moments because if they haven't, we've really missed a beat. And that's something I've seen Smithy do um, with mastery across the years I've known him and I think that's a really key thing on top of the foundation of care and love as a, as a, as a massive expectation of understanding the importance of preparation 
and then understanding, understanding that part of that preparation is training in a way which is going to be your level when you perform. No, I was just going to say the bit about combat doesn't always have to, like thinking of me as a golf coach. Yeah. Um, probably not going to have blood Thursdays with the stitches and stuff. So the bit about combat doesn't have to be physical either, does it? No. In like terms of that intensity of training. It's a, I think it's about it's about whatever your sport or whatever that you do. It's about knowing who you are and being that person. Then finding the ability to have quite a quiet mind under the under the heat of the performing moment because the performing moment could be music. So that that if that isn't trained, because if that isn't trained, no matter what the context is that you want in performance, and then it's it's unlikely it's going to be there in the way that it could be because you haven't become fully instinctive. Yeah, so that'd be the bit I'd add in on the back of what Smithy was saying about 12 and 13. It's a combination. A couple of things I really loved about that year. Um, we were we were using Statsport GPS, um, which is an outstanding system, and we'd Brett Smith, who had come from rowing, from, from being Dick Tonks' right-hand man, and he was our, um, part of our tactical periodisation planner for, for the week. So we would work out what we were going to do in terms of our tactical training and our drills, and then he would say what intensity they needed to be done, how many high-speed meters we needed to do each day and in each drill, and we worked out how we would how we would create that. And then during the game, we, we would get all the data and we would see how fast guys run and how far they're running. And then I was looking at the data after one game, halfway through 2.12, and I saw that in defense, um, some of our forwards were running only four metres at high speed in a minute of defence time. And so I went to Brett and I said, this can't be right, can't four metres at high speed? It's like running to the fridge to get a beer. Like, would that be true? And he said, yep, that'll be right. That's, that's all you're doing at high speed. Oh, I couldn't believe it. So anyway, I got the team together. This is one of the great things about technology. I got the team together at the review and I said, boys, See that tree over there, that's four metres away, and I sprinted to it and came back. I said, that's how far some of you guys are running in defence at high speed in a whole minute. A whole minute. Four minutes, because I knew we had to change their, we had to reshape their minds. And so we had organised with Brett and his students to, um, to read out live, read, live metres run after a drill that I was doing. So... We did three minutes of defence. So they had like 15 against 15, and we were measuring the guys who were in defence. And they had to sprint up, make a tackle, get back, hit the ground, get up, make another tackle. Three minutes. And by the time we got over to Brett, they, they had all the figures for how far they'd run at high speed per minute for those three minutes. So we get there and they call out the props names for four metres, six metres, five metres, get up to Augustine Pulu at halfback, 19 metres, you know, a bit higher, um, Karakur Barlow, you know, 25 metres, whatever. And I said, boys, like, I reckon we could go down in our suits and our black shoes and, and run that in defence. Let's do it again, see if you can get it up. So we did it again, came back, all of a sudden the props were up to 16 metres per minute of high speed. Um, Tawara and Augustine were up to 31 metres high speed. And you know what? Once you expand their minds to, to say, we can do this, they don't contract back. And it was a, it was a massive thing for me, I reckon, that um, these guys then believed, yeah, you're only doing 14 to 15 minutes of defence in a game. And if, if you can't do 16 
to 30 meters at high speed per minute of that 14 minutes. There's something wrong, isn't there? So um, that that was just one little little um, story about how we were operating in those days. And the second thing that I really loved was um, when we made the the playoffs, there was no talk of peaking, and I loved that because because I hate. In rugby, I, I don't like this idea of resting up for finals or resting up for peak events. Uh, we decided to go harder. <laughs> uh, we reduced the time a wee bit, but we went harder. We had our highest um, GPS readings of the whole year in those in that semi-final and the final week. And I remember um, Fritz Lee, who hadn't made either the semi-final or the final, the starting uh, the starting team. He put hit suit on, full hit suit on both of our final trainings before the semi-final and the final, and he he dove into every ruck and he got rucked and he got stood on and he got chucked out. But he gave his he gave his body and his soul to the team so that we could win on the Saturday because that was that's what it was going to be like on Saturday. And it was a magnificent I'll never forget Fritz Lee for that. It was just a magnificent um, unselfish act for, for the team. That was a great story though, Jay, that one of Fritz. Yes. Yeah. That's a great story, marking. You know, I think about if we could summarise everything that Smithy's talked about. Yeah, how he talked about Fritz. Guy wasn't even going to play, and yet he gave his he gave his heart for the, the team. Yeah, reckon that's a key key marker for anyone listening. If we're looking for a golden gem tonight about how they construct a team and build a team and what they're looking for in players, then that that that's, that's it. it.